Well, good morning, Trinity. Uh, it would have been great to be with you guys in person together. I'm sure you guys would have all enjoyed gathering as well. Um, but at least I get to be with you guys online, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Well, in this season of protesting racial injustice, I think one aspect that comes out is that we all play a role, actively or passively, intentionally, or unintentionally, uh, directly or indirectly, we influence our society for how we handle issues like race. And perhaps we've been asking ourselves that question, like, what's my part? Uh, is there something I need to examine about myself? Is there something that I should be doing? We all have influence. And, well, how, how do we steward our influence? I'd like to read you an account. There was a dealer in oil and wheat commodities who faced a crisis in his business some time ago. He heard that the manager of one of his branch offices was not running a tight ship. He was wastefully inefficient. So he called the man in to tell him that his services were no longer needed. The firing hit the manager like a bolt of lightning. He had not expected it. And he couldn't sleep that night as he worried about his future. He, didn't, he knew he couldn't start all over to do manual work. Uh, easy living had made him soft. He thought about going to some of the men at the club and asking them for a job. But the thought of confessing that he had been fired was more than his pride could handle. Sometime in the middle of the night, a plan struck him. And the next day, he put the plan into operation. He called some of the men with whom his office did business and asked them to drop by and see him. The first man who came by was an oil dealer. The man had contracted to deliver 800 gallons of oil, but the price of oil had gone up, and the man stood to lose a fair amount of money on this trade. So the branch manager said, you know, I've been thinking about this contract we've signed, and I realize you're at a disadvantage, and I don't want to see that happen to a friend. Look, why don't we just change the contract? Let's make it 400 gallons, and, uh, and that way I think you'll do all right. Obviously, the oil dealer was elated, signed the new contract, and said, you know, you saved my neck. Uh, someday, I, I hope I get a chance to pay you back. The, that day at noon, the branch manager had lunch with a wheat speculator who had contracted to deliver a thousand bushels of wheat, but the harvest had not been what he had anticipated, and he too faced a lot of red ink. So when they got down to dessert, the branch manager said, you know, I've been thinking about this deal of ours, and I realize your back is up against the wall. I don't like to see that happen to a friend. Look, why don't we we'll change the contract? Instead of 1,000 bushels of wheat, why don't you just make it 800 bushels for the price? And that way, both of us can make a small profit. The two men had a drink on it, and as they were leaving the restaurant, the, the wheat speculator said, You know, I can't tell you how grateful I am. You've been a real friend to me, and I hope that somehow, someday, I'll be able to pay you back. Well, a few days later, when the branch manager came to clean out his desk at the office, he knew that his prospects were fairly bright. There were several firms in the community who would be interested in hiring. They had seen how he worked their side of the street when they were in a jam, and they'd be happy to reach out. When the owners of the business found out what the branch manager had done, he was understandably upset, but he had to give the man a little credit. He had used his position as a branch manager, the possessions entrusted to his care, to make a few crucial friendships. 
And so the owner of the business said, you know, you got to hand it to him. When the chips were down, he knew how to play his cards. And there was someone else who had a good word for that branch manager. See, this story is adapted from a parable of Jesus uh, by a preacher named Haddon Robinson, who had recontextualized the parable. And Jesus also, obviously, commanded this branch manager. We have a slide here for Jesus' words from Luke 16. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Well, I understand you're in a series on parables, and for those of us who grew up in a church, parables can feel rather, you know, familiar, stories we've heard since we were little kids, but these are not tame stories. They, uh, they usually have a, a twist. They're surprising. They're subversive. And today I want to consider this parable of the shrewd manager. So here's a guy. He wasn't a very good manager. He was being fired uh, because he wasn't doing a good job. And to save himself, he acted dishonestly. He stole from his boss. And then Jesus commends this scoundrel as an example. It's as if Jesus was implying learning how to swindle your boss, like that's a good thing. And obviously, that raises some questions, right? How could Jesus commend someone for dishonesty and for stealing? Well, you might recall that sometimes Jesus uses less than savory characters to tell his stories. Like there's the story of the unjust judge who eventually relents and grants justice to the persistent widow. Or when Jesus referred to himself as a thief in the night. Jesus obviously wasn't commending stealing, nor was he asking us to think of him as a thief, right? No, it's Jesus was making a specific point that, like a thief in the night, his return would be unexpected, a surprise. You never know when, so we should always be prepared. And I think Jesus is doing something similar here. He's not commending dishonesty and stealing. He is making a specific point that this manager was shrewd. And he's, his choice of a dishonest manager, I think, to make the point, is, is a twist. It's a shock. It, it serves a purpose, that shock. For example, suppose my house got broke, broken into and the burglar, he was a master. He got past the alarm system without breaking anything. He took only a few expensive items, made a clean getaway so that it was weeks before I even realized that I had been burglarized. But eventually, when I find out what happened, of course I'm upset that I was burglarized. But suppose I take my kids and I say, hey guys, I want you to look at this burglar. He, he got past our alarm system, which actually, by the way, we don't really have, but, but imagine. He got past our alarm system. He, he left no trace. He, he look, at, look, at, look at the planning, look at the precision. This guy was prepared. This guy was smooth. This guy was smart, thorough, diligent. Kids, I want you to be smart like this burglar. Like, how's that feel? Right? It's a little awkward or embarrassing to learn a lesson from someone whom we would otherwise condemn. 
And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He says the people of the world, hey, they get it. They're smart. They're shrewd. They understand my people. Yeah, not so much. When Jesus sent his ministries, his disciples out for ministry in a world where he knew there would be enemies who would attack them, arrest them. He warned them and said, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. See, there is a place for shrewdness, for being wise as serpents, for being thoughtful and insightful. Today, I think we need to be very shrewd in how we engage in the issue of race. I think we need to understand the context, understand the nature of the problem, to discern any kind of honest and realistic path forward. I think we need shrewdness in knowing how to engage in controversial topics in a, in a society that is already way too polarized. We need shrewdness. I think we need shrewdness in learning how to introduce Jesus to people who aren't that interested, who in fact might be a bit hostile. How do we winsomely overcome barriers and demonstrate love? I think we can be shrewder in how we grow in our faith, how we form our character, how we overcome and resist temptations. I think we can be shrewder about the influences that we allow upon our lives and about a path toward deep, long-lasting change. See, I think we can give more careful reflection, thought, wisdom, insight into these things. We can be shrewd. Now, having said that, I want to pull back, because contrary to some interpreters of this parable, I think Jesus, I don't think Jesus is celebrating general shrewdness, general wisdom and insight. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we have a slide here, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And then Paul said his own presentation of the gospel were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. See, there are some things that are far more important than shrewdness. So, so what's Jesus doing here? What's he saying? What's he trying to teach us? What does he mean by shrewdness? Because I do think he is being more specific. And we see that in verse 9. We have a slide. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may be received, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. <coughs> Excuse me. By the way, unrighteous wealth here in this verse simply means worldly wealth, like money that we use in the world. And Jesus is saying that we can use our money to make friends for eternity. Shrewdness is in recognizing that the money that we have today, we're not going to have forever. That there will be a day of reckoning. There will be another age to come. And so it would be foolish to just hold on to this. Shrewdness recognizes and prepares for that age to come. And in that sense, this parable of Jesus parallels Another parable he told about a guy who had this huge harvest, so much that he didn't know what to do with all his crops, decides to tear down his barn and build 
bigger barns. And he's happy with all that he has, eat, drink, be merry. He's got plenty for many years, but then God appears to this guy and says, fool, this night your soul is required of you and what will happen to all that you have prepared for yourself. Jesus is saying it's foolish to think that all the money and the resources that we have today are ours to enjoy as we please. We don't know when this life will end and the new age for us will begin. And so it is wise, it is shrewd to use what we have while we can to prepare for what is yet to come. Notice how Jesus concludes that parable. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. See, if, 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 we, if we just hold on and not, we're not rich toward God, well, then he says, we are fools. I heard a story about a sailor who had been shipwrecked in, on one of the South Sea Islands. And to his surprise, uh, the natives grabbed him, brought him into the village, and put him on this crude throne. There he sat. Little by little, he began to realize or understand that these people, they would set a man to be their king for a year. He was very happy being king for uh, on this little island until he began to wonder, well, what happened to all the prior kings? He eventually found out that usually they were banished after that year to a barren island where they usually starved to death. And he didn't, oh, he didn't like that. But he was smart and he was king, king for a year. And so he put carpenters to work to build boats. He put farmers to work to, to plant fruit trees and crops. He put masons to work to build houses and barns and other structures so that when his year ended, instead of being banished to a barren island, he went to an island paradise, abundant and fruitful. This is the shrewdness of the manager. To put it in the words of Jim Elliott, um, a missionary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So pause. Do we recognize all our money, all our resources, all this stuff, it's not going to last. Do we see that this is just an opportunity we have today, for now, an opportunity to invest in something that will last? How much of our money is spent on this island versus the island to which we will go? You know, the manager, he was just protecting himself, right? He just took advantage of what he had to to serve himself. This was out of his own self-interest. And at one level, I think Jesus is saying, even if it's out of self-interest, self-protection, it's, it's just common sense. It's just simple shrewdness to use what we have today to prepare for the day of reckoning and the age to come. So how do you do that? How are we to prepare for that day of reckoning? How are we to, in the words of the parable, make friends for ourselves who will receive us into eternal dwellings? A little later in Luke 16, same chapter, Jesus tells a story about a rich man who dressed in fine clothes, feasted sumptuously, and then there was a poor man 
Lazarus, covered with sores, hungry. The rich man is sent to hell, the poor man Lazarus, to heaven. And the implication of the story is that the rich man is condemned, partly at least, for his neglect of the poor, which is a theme in Luke. Notice Luke 12. We have a slide. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Also chapter 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is teaching us, give to the poor, the needy, to those who can't repay us. That is how we lay up treasures in heaven, how we are rich toward God, how we make friends for eternity, how we will be repaid in the future age. Jesus is saying, if you think about it, even out of self-interest, self-protection, shrewdness leads to charity. So pause again. How much of our money do we give to the poor, to those who can't repay us? And I want to, if I may, just challenge us that perhaps in ways that we're not even aware, we are very blessed, very privileged, especially living in Orange County or Southern California. We have, we've been very blessed. A couple summers ago, August 2018, there was a Washington Post article titled, most Americans vastly underestimate how rich they are compared with the rest of the world. Does it matter? And it said, even after adjusting for cost of living expenses, the typical American earns 10 times more than the typical person in the world. But the typical American doesn't realize how big the disparity is. The article says, quote, the average U.S. resident estimated that the global median individual income is $20,000 a year. In fact, the real answer is about a tenth of that figure, about $2,100 a year. Americans are far richer than they even realize. And if I may suggest, I think a lot of us, again, living in Southern California, we don't have typical American incomes. We have been entrusted with a hugely disproportionate amount of resources. And it's not just money. We have influence. We have opportunities. We have a voice. We have a vote. And we can use our influence to help the powerless, the poor, the marginalized. We can build relationships. We can promote understanding. We can be a reconciler. We can be an advocate. We can serve the marginalized. And we should, it's saying, we should use our resources because the parable is saying, because this is good for us. This is good for us. But I don't want to leave it there because in the end, it's not about us. In the end, it's not about the poor. I don't want us to leave it there because Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus moves on. Notice verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. 
If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It's interesting here that Jesus moves on to this idea of stewardship. God is the owner of all things, but he has entrusted to us, his servants, some of his resources that we are to use for him. It's not ours, it's his, for his purpose, his gain, his business. We are just stewards. And the question Jesus raises is, how, how well do we steward the little things? Faithfulness with little things would suggest a kind of character, a kind of loyalty that implies that this servant could be entrusted with more. And so Jesus is saying, if we would be faithful with money, the little thing, then then we could be entrusted with greater things. How we handle our money is is an indicator. It's, It's a test that reveals how much we want to serve our master. Are we, are we faithful servants? Can we be entrusted with more? Or to put it another way, how much do we love our master? How much do we want to serve him? We can start by looking at how we steward his money. And notice the reward of faithful stewardship of little things is not big mansions on streets of gold in heaven or uh, a big payout in heavenly currency, the reward for faithful service is the opportunity for more faithful service. We would be entrusted with more so that we could then use those things to, again, serve our master. The picture here is that we are to love our master, that we want to serve him. We want to serve him even more so that to be entrusted with more is, is a joy that we could serve him. Jesus continues, if we've been faithful with God's riches, <clears throat> we gain riches of our own. That the path of faithfulness and stewardship leads to an increase for the master, but it also leads to an increase for ourselves. We can use the temporary resources, our money that we have today, for our master. And by doing so, we gain permanent increase for ourselves. And what is that permanent increase? Some of you might remember I, uh, years ago, talked about this doctrine of reward. What is it? I think think this gain is the joy of serving our master, the master we love. And the more we love him— the more joy it is to serve him. Maybe you remember times, moments when to a good friend, family member, you like sincerely say, please, let me do this for you. Uh, Let me buy this for you. Let let me, please, would you let me? I, it would be my privilege. I I want to, please let me do this. It would be a joy for me to give this to you. See, that is the heart of the faithful steward. It would be my joy, my joy to be able to serve you in this way. This is my pleasure. This is my reward. See, we may start with self-interest, self-protection, but 
Jesus moves on to this idea of stewardship, where instead of some, it's something about me, it is now something about him. It's about the master. And if that wasn't clear, notice verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Who's your master? God or money? Who, who, who do you love? Who are we devoted to? And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we, we want to serve two masters, God and money. We want both. I want both. But Jesus says, it's, that's not going to work. We will use our money to serve God, or we will use God to gain money. It, one will be serving the other. So what's it going to be? Who is your master? Who are we lovingly devoted to? Jesus calls us to make it about our master. I want to take that thought and tie it back to this idea of serving the poor. Because the idea is, if we love God, we serve the poor. That this is, this also is still about God. The clear connection in Luke is that faithfulness to God, being rich toward God, means serving the poor. Proverbs 14, we have a slide, puts it directly. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. God is saying he, he created the poor, and when we're generous to the poor, we honor God because God made them, and God made them in his image. God identifies with them so that when we give to the poor, God's saying, you honor me. See, there is a difference between when a non-Christian cares for the poor and when a Christian cares for the poor. Because, yes, we care for the poor for their sake, but for the Christian, ultimately, we care for the poor not just for them. We care for the poor because God is their maker, because God made them in his image, because God cares for them and, and identifies with them. We care for the poor because we, we love God. God, and that is why helping the poor is being rich toward God. That is why mercy and kindness to them is, is investing in him, in being rich toward God, because to the Christian, this is about God. John Wesley, a well-known English preacher of the 18th century, came from pretty humble beginnings, but as you may know, became a very well-known preacher. So much so that his annual income reached about 1,400 pounds a year, which in today's terms is over $400,000. Could have lived a pretty comfortable life, but he chose instead to live on 30 pounds a year, not the 1,400, meaning he gave away 98% of his income. He lived on 2%. John Wesley once preached on our passage here, Luke 16, particularly verse 9, use your money to gain friends, that I think gives us some insight into understanding why he was so radically 
generous. You see, he saw money as a, a powerful tool, a tool that can be used to serve our master. Notice what he said. We have a slide. Money is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of his children, us, his Christians, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. By money, we may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be as eyes to the blind, as feet to the lame, yea, a lifter up of the gates of death. It is therefore of the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent, that they be instructed how it may answer these glorious ends, and in the highest degree. See, he's saying money can do a lot of really good things. There are great ways we can use this tool to serve our master by caring for the poor. So we want to be shrewd. Shrewd enough to give what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. And we're called to be stewards, faithful stewards who serve our master, the master we love, by giving to the poor for his sake. But there's one more thing. The master doesn't just ask us to give to the poor. He doesn't just say, I, I made them, I made them in my image and I care for them. Our master, he gave and gave and gave until he himself became poor. I have a slide for 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Notice also Philippians 2. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself, dying on a cross. He, the rich, became poor. And by his poverty, we, the poor, became Rich, you see, in the Christian story, there is someone who is a generous giver, radically generous giver. But that is not you or me. No, the, the big giver in the Christian story is Jesus. And we, we are the recipients. We are the beneficiaries. We are the, the poor who have become rich by his generosity. And when we realize when we can see and taste how much he has given to us, that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind is conceived of. I mean, this unfathomable graciousness. When we can get glimpses of that, that makes us love our master. It makes us thankful. It makes us want to serve him, want to please him, want his increase. So may we, may we be shrewd and faithful servants who delight to serve our master by using what we have today to care for the poor, to care for the marginalized. Let me pray for us.
Dear Lord, give us wisdom. Give us shrewdness to recognize how all of this stuff today, it's going to go away. We have it for just a moment. Lord, may that shrewdness lead us to charity, that we would care for the poor, not just out of self-interest, though it would be to our interest to do so. But Lord, may we do it because we love you and we want to serve you. We want to be faithful stewards for you, faithful servants, using what you have entrusted to us because, because we love you, because you first loved us. Lord, I pray that Trinity would be a generous charitable source of grace flowing upon grace as we see your gifts to us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.